just eat really weird food and obviously I couldn't hold on to it because it just got so tiring yeah I know when I first met you you were complaining about it (laughs) you were like I hate this diet I'm on it's working but I hate it yeah exactly because I'm just like if I want to eat something specifically like I just have to cut everything else and that that's how eating is I guess if you don't want to change your body composition but like it's so unrealistic yeah I'm excited for the conversation I have so many questions for her I was gonna say I was in Whole Foods earlier and I was just thinking oh I'd like to ask her about this and I'd like to ask her about her perspective on that and like how much of this is trained totally. how much of this is learned yeah I know and I'm actually really excited about her personal story too like with her move and then her relationship kind of closing and then like I wonder why she decided to go into this for a career we'll get to ask that's a lot of emotional yeah like responsibility to take on all those clients yeah so it's pretty cool yeah so um how you being (laughs) yeah I was just gonna ask how your week was do you want to go first I feel like I always go first sure tell me about your week lady Well, I feel like it's been busy. I think that it's been um, kind of like the brain is starting up from Christmas holidays. And I thought, yeah, I'm good. I've got this. And this week, you know, I'll get through all these other things I have to do. No, I feel like I'm even more tired than last week. And it's not, it's not getting easier. No, that's so sad. (laughs) Are you? It's like, I just need to go back and like sleep again. Yeah, I was going to ask, are you making time for yourself and prioritizing all those things that you need that you love about LA? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, Not really, not in the last week. I feel like I've just been dragging my heels and then I feel like I work a little bit later and then when I work a little bit later, I don't, you know, go out and do all those things I want to do. So you're totally hitting the nail on the head like I'm not actually going out and doing things I want to do um but I I did go to the gym a couple times which is a good like outlet I definitely enjoy that but um oh yeah I did see I did go to beach cycle well you did go cycling at least I did go cycling I think it's because beach cycles um like winter schedule is actually kind of hard for me it's at 4 30 and I'm just Oh, because like, of the I'm in the sunset. middle of work. Yeah. Yeah. We went down to Sage, you know, that like diffuser shop? Sage Wellness, oh, yes, I guess. Oh, yes, I do know. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I was like, 
I want, I was so specific. I'm like, I want to get like an essential oil that's like eucalyptus and another one that's sandalwood. And apparently that's not a thing. Like apparently that is a weird thing to ask for. They're like, oh, sandalwood's not really common right now that we're not making a lot of that. And I'm like, okay. I thought sandalwood was like super popular. Well, yeah. I Do you know that smell? I Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But I wonder if it's because like maybe they are like super small batch like I don't do do they even sell outside of their store I think they just sell what they have I don't know to be honest I don't know a lot about them I just know that I like their stuff um but yeah I went down there and and this nice girl was helping me and she's like no sorry you'll have to try something else so we got yeah we got two nice things one that had sandalwood in it but it I wouldn't say it's like a sandalwood heavy so, and then another one that smells kind of like a forest after it rains, which is kind of nice. Ooh, what's that one called? I think it's called After the Rain. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to have, I'm going to like work on my um, New Year's resolution of be more calm and like have a bath and like have the diffuser. And I tried and I think I was just a little bit strong. <laughs> and I also feel like I, I ended up just like working in the bath. So I was like on my phone, like making like content and I'm just like, oh, well, okay. So New Year's resolution off to a great start. Yeah. Well, give you, give yourself a little bit of grace there. Cause if it felt like, like did, like, did you enjoy making the content? Did you enjoy planning it? Or did you feel like More you or less. had to, was it a, ha- I have to get this done? Or were you kind of like, this sounds like a nice thing to do right now? I mean, a little bit of both. I guess I bought some mock-ups for my uh, painting Instagram. And so I finally was just like getting the, the scanned images like into the mock-ups. And I was just trying to like organize all the content to make sense of it because it's going to be a totally different look for that feed. And I guess I just felt like the pressure to like edit all the mock-ups and like try them all out and organize it and I I guess I get into like a little bit of a circle where I'm just like okay and then this is too similar and I have to move this and you know you just like have to plan everything for the next three weeks on there and but I I mean I kind of enjoy that too like I think anyone who's on social media doesn't really mind making social media posts yeah it's kind of fun I think so too um are you going to Bunda at night yeah, I went to Bunda last night, and I am so sore today. It sucks walking up and down stairs. It's horrible. Yeah. So, like, what do you do at Bunda? Like, hit? No. No, it's a full it's a full hour workout. Um, it's uh, mostly, like, resistance training, hypertrophy, and uh, plyometric training. So all the stuff that I really like to do in a gym anyways – and there's like one specific trainer there that I love because uh, I like uh, how innovative he is like when it comes to these workouts because it's on a rooftop and you're left with a box, a yoga mat and some like loose dumbbells and you pick the size. And then we have like sandbags and then like resistance bands basically. So it's uh, it, there's not a lot of equipment. There's not like a full gym like kind of access like downstairs like in the actual studio. 
So you're kind of limited, but I really like the workouts that he comes up with. I, he also like switches it up, but he keeps the same moves or um, lots of squats um, depending on the day because there's a, um, a butt and legs day and then there's a full body day and then there's an arms and abs day. My favorite is actually the full body day, but I like the butt and legs day too. And that was the one I went to yesterday. Um, so all lower body, a little bit of core. And it definitely kicks your butt, kicks your bunda. <laughs> but I love it. I, I feel like it's as challenging as you want it to be. You can make it more or less challenging um, depending on the day. Um, it's super positive, but um, not not toxically positive, <laughs> like, <laughs> like what we're going to talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like motivational um, and it welcomes like all people of all walks of life, which I really love. It feels inclusive. It doesn't feel exclusive. Um, I love it. It's great. Is it like all ages then? All body types? Yeah, I see. I see. Yeah. All body types, all ages there. It's really cool. Uh, men, men and women as well. Yeah. Do you usually just like put in your headphones or do you like chat with people? No, it's a, it's like a lead class. So he tells you the moves and then you do them. <laughs> okay, so the trainer that I like, his name is Ray. So he always talks about his day randomly. Like, we get to hear about his day while we're working out. <laughs> get to hear his stories about his life. Like, he's really funny and he's really chill. And um, I think how casual he is makes it a lot easier because you're, like, fucking dying while you're doing all these workouts. So he keeps <laughs> the mood really light um, and always plays pretty good music. He actually plays my favorite music out of the, all the trainers. Yeah, so he's like, do like 20 like hip thrusts and um after you do 20 hip thrusts like you're gonna do put the bands on and you're gonna do the like butterfly leg ones I don't remember what they're called but he, he like tells you exactly what to do and you're you're following the class the whole time so it's it's super easy if you've never uh I mean because there is like a trainer there if you've never done this specific move he's there to help you out he's there to spot you um, if you're trying to add on more weight to a specific workout, um, yeah. And if you want to do it body weight, you totally can. Nobody's going to judge you. I love it. And it's, it's rooftop, so it's got a cool view. <laughs> I know you always, you always show pictures of that view and I'm so jealous. It looks so awesome. Yeah. It's like on the second floor, it's not even a tall building or anything. It It's just like on third street and there's like a nice stretch of low buildings, so you can kind of see the sun. It's nice. I honestly thought it was on like the top of a roof, like skyscraper roof. <laughs> I know, right? I know. It's because all the buildings around it are so low. They're all like, yeah, one to two store buildings max. I guess it's like technically three because the second floor is a parking lot. So maybe it is three stories. I guess that counts. <laughs> yeah. So I went to I went to class yesterday, and then I'm gonna go to another one on Saturday, I think. Um, I think I booked like a morning class for Saturday and that one is full body. That's cool. Is it like a sunrise? Yeah, it'll be a sunrise. It'll be just after. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite. I like the nighttime workouts like we were talking about, but the sunrise at Bunda is just, it's, it's the best way to start my day. Do you feel like there's an optimal time to work out for you or does it change like with your schedule or your, the season you're in, like, or is there always an optimal time? Yeah, so I guess you could say that it changes, um, but it goes it goes one way or another. So on an optimal day, if everything's perfect, then I like to go in the mornings because I like to start my weekdays with a workout. I feel like it wakes me up, gets me ready for the week. 
whatever. And then I feel like I don't have to think about it later at night. Like the worst feeling is like when you're like, oh, I I promised myself I would go, you know, do this exercise and it's four o'clock and I'm so tired. I really don't want to go do it. That's the worst feeling. So I prefer mornings, but I also know that life is life and I can't have it my way all the time. So I try and keep it open. If I do an evening workout, then I, I, like I said in the beginning, I kind of like to twist it. Like it's going to help me fall asleep. So I use it as like a mechanism for that. Yeah, that's good. What about you? Do you like, do you like night workouts? I feel like I went through such a long phase of working out in the morning and it was really good, but I was also so exhausted when I like got to three o'clock in the afternoon. Like I couldn't even function because I was up at like, I don't know, I was up at like five, working out at six till seven, then going to work for eight. Like it was just it was so early for me. I don't think my body's made to do that. Um, so if I work out, like I'll usually work out, um, like between five and seven, it's, it's usually better. Nice. That's good. Do you like to, do you eat anything before working out or do you just kind of like go straight from work to work to the gym? Yeah. I usually just go straight to the gym, but I, always have a protein shake when I come back. I feel like that's some kind of like learned habit. Um, I don't know if there's a benefit, but I get a bit of calories from that. And usually I make it into a smoothie. So I'll have like fruit and protein when I get back. So nice. But what about you? Do you eat a, do you eat a snack or anything or are you just straight to before breakfast? No, I really can't eat before the gym. It really makes me, it makes me feel sick, honestly. It doesn't even really matter how, that's why I like doing morning workouts. Cause I feel like, especially if it's really early, I don't have to think about eating. I, I don't wake up like starving, like at least like, it's not a good feeling to have. So I try, try not to like wake up starving. So then, yeah, then I can go to the gym, do my workout. And then once I'm done with the workout, then I'm feeling really hungry. I'm ready to nourish my body, kind of wake up. So that's usually what I like to do. But like when I went yesterday, I ate like maybe three hours before. And I still felt kind of like, ugh, like I can feel my food. It's kind of gross. So that's why I was asking. I'm like, am I just weird? (laughs) No, I feel like people have that problem. But like three hours before seems like quite a while. Right? But are you eating like a lot of food? But that was my thing. I don't think I had enough. I when I thought back on it, I, I don't think I had enough carbs. And I think it was maybe just, like, I felt, like, weak. It was, like, my body confusing what the feeling was. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's super hard to work out when you're starving. Like, I don't, it just, it's physiologically super challenging. So that might have been what you're going through. But does it happen every, every time or just that one time? It does happen a lot. But that's why, yeah, that's why I just, like, generally try and avoid eating near the workout. I, I think, like, four hours is usually what I do. Cause I, I don't, maybe this is like something that I was like programmed to understanding. Maybe, maybe I just have like a false idea of it, but I was told like four hours between eating is a good ratio or like a good number for your blood sugar to like not spike. So I always thought that like four hour rule was like a good rule to follow. But again, like (laughs) I don't have anything to back that up. But that was kind of like my rule, like four hours before the gym is like good because then once I'm done with the gym, then I'm hungry and I can eat and then I won't spike my blood sugar and blah, blah, blah. Sounds fine to me. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I, I'm, 
I don't for, I don't have very good eating habits. So as as we we learned this morning with the macros diet. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like I don't claim to be an expert in food whatsoever. I'm I'm just here to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that episode upcoming. Totally. 2022 full of fun. Heading up all of our goals. <laughs> Podcast goals. Yeah, right. So what else did you get up to in the week? Uh, I don't know. Not much. A lot of work. A lot of trying to finish cleaning the house. But like the cats. I still have the cats, Ashley. I'm like, I'm starting to get a little like scared. Like I, I, I don't know what to do soon Um, because I posted on Facebook um, and I got a lot of comments. I got a lot of people saying, yes, I'll adopt. Um, Not a single one like went through like they all fell through you know so that was annoying yeah not a single cat got adopted out of that thread of like 50 comments i was really irritated a lot of fake um uninterested messages and whatnot i also reached out to a couple like shelters or rescues um i guess they're more rescues than anything um and basically like asking for them to like sponsor me as like one of their fosters so I would basically keep the cats in the house and then they would advertise to um, like have them adopted basically through their foundation. But I, we got accepted into one, which is great, but they're in Long Beach. So I was like holding off on basically going through with that one because I'm like, it's kind of far. But the other one that's really close to us, they were like, oh, well, the vets that we have resources to aren't able to have like female cats fixed for another three or so months. And by that time, the cats are going to be like so old. I don't know. They said they're all booked out for three months. And I'm like, yeah, that's insane. That's weird. Like, how do you get, how do you get any cat fixed at all if you have to wait three months? So that's why. I'm so like, the other option is to go to the Long Beach? Yeah, that's, I think that's my only option. And that's, like, really hard because, like, I share one car and Long Beach is a bit of a trek. So, yeah, I'm getting nervous about what to do with them because I, I still have, we have basically six that we're trying to rehome. So you've already rehomed how many? Well, my mom's done most of the work. Yeah. There, she rehomed Thank God for four. Her. <laughs> I know. She rehomed four. Oh, wow. That's impressive. I know. Go mom. And now I'm like, she's she's coming to, she's been uh, in on vacation and she's coming like tomorrow probably to come get hers. Like, because uh, she dropped her cat off here. And uh, I'm going to try and see if she'll take one or two more because she seems like connected with a lot of cat people. And I'm not. <laughs> so I'm like, can you just take, <laughs> take the cats with you to the cat people? yeah episode 10 i know it is a milestone we just hit the ground running cool let's dive in um do you want to introduce today's topic so today in episode 10 woo celebration for episode 10 we are going to talk about toxic positivity it's a special kind of torture um that we know has been getting some attention 
uh, I guess, since COVID started. Uh, I think we noticed quite a lot of articles from the summer and the fall, so it looks like it's a hot-button topic. Um, and we are here to add our two cents. So, yeah, I guess we could just give everyone a quick definition so we all know what we're talking about. Um, there's a few definitions out there, and I guess we can just kind of generalize and make our own. But for the purposes of this episode, it's basically any kind of, I suppose, remark or action that downplays the emotions that someone's feeling. And perhaps it even vilifies the full normal span of emotions that someone may have. So I don't know if you have some good examples for what it might look like. Yes. Um, so there are obviously a million examples, um, but some of the most common probably that you and I have probably said to somebody at some point in our lives um, is like the everything will work out or everything happens for a reason. Like those are just like prime examples. Um, I, uh, when I was reading, I, I have like a lot of um, different cool little articles that I want to pop up uh, in conversation in this episode. But like a really interesting example is when it came to race and sexuality. So for gender, the way that toxic positivity manifests is where you were basically girls and boys are taught how differently to handle their emotions. So boys, it's like, no, you, you can't be sad. You can't feel this emotion. Buck up, buddy. You got to be strong. You got to be a man. So toxic positivity can manifest in that way. And the same thing goes for women where it's like, you must pull back your emotions. You cannot cry in front of a man. You must be reserved. You must be docile. Like all of those kinds of responses, right? So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I also found this article on Medium where they talk about toxic positivity showing up in forms of racial racial prejudice. Hmm. So using phrases like all lives matter or let's just all love each other and I don't see color. Those are also examples of toxic positivity. So it's not as um, like out of reach as you might think. It's probably something you've participated in or something you've heard in your inner circle or within family members or just on the news. It's literally everywhere. Yeah, those are some really good examples, especially the last few. Like, I'm sure we could just classify those as different forms of maybe racism. But I think at the end of the day, when you realize it's just quite as straightforward as toxic positivity, perhaps it's more tangible to the everyday person to realize how it's coming out and how negative it really can be when we think about the full range of of how people experience toxic positivity. Um, But I think I, I really like what you said, that it's all over the place. It's not just in one setting. It's not just social media. It's not just you talking to your friend who's having a bad day, like it is in the workplace. It is experienced by genders and races. It's experienced by everyone in a different way and it's everywhere. So maybe that's why it's uh, such a hot topic right now. Yeah, because people are learning to identify exactly what it is. Um, Something I found interesting was psychologists defining toxic positivity as a form of gaslighting, which makes a lot of sense. But I, I'd never heard it framed that way. Okay, so how does that work? Yeah, so let me pull up some, uh, some of these articles. 
Okay, so in that in that same article I was telling you about from Medium, which we'll link uh, in the description, basically, so they they start off as defining like what is gaslighting, so you can kind of get like an understanding really of kind of how the two relate. So um, they say gaslighting is a manipulation tactic, intentional or otherwise, that is used to make someone question their own reality and deny their own thoughts, feelings, and experiences. So um, with that. Um, toxic positivity, the entire concept is that it's denying somebody's uh, feelings, experiences, etc. So they align pretty similarly in that way. It's also something that they say closely relates to narcissism. So nobody wants to be a narcissist. Really? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense. It's um, because a narcissist, um, so this article says, a narcissist might say to you, why are you always so negative? I'm in such a good mood. They have this kind of like, you should be like me kind of attitude. And that can manifest in toxic positivity. Isn't that cool? Well, not cool, but interesting to kind of think about. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's Just literally like, everywhere in every situation. And it makes you really have yeah, to like, like, question exactly. reality a little bit. <laughs> and now I wonder, like, did you see anywhere um, talk about how toxic positivity can come up within yourself like do people do it to themselves um I didn't really I don't know if I really explored that so much it was more um like how we put it on other people because that was kind of the um angle that I was kind of most interested in um but did you find anything like that I think you can do it to yourself I'm sure you can yeah not letting yourself rest not wanting to feel a negative experience yeah not wanting to feel something and telling yourself that it's all fine I should be grateful yeah I should be happy for where I'm at like I feel like it was maybe an article I read about toxic positivity in the workplace. So basically they were talking about, you know, getting treated poorly at work, having a problem with your boss or something at work, and then telling yourself, you know, I'm grateful because I have a job. At least I have a job because I need this job. And then you are like downplaying that you're, being verbally abused by someone at work um and you're really not changing your situation you're just like basically patronizing yourself and not accepting your full range of emotions and then accepting a situation that is unhealthy for you because you're overestimating that it's positive and it's not positive yeah so I think you can do it to yourself as well I'm sure yeah I'm almost positive you can in some way Um, I did also, um, see some interesting studies on the psychological health benefits of accepting negative emotions and thoughts. So Hmm. I think, um, that I guess would play into your question a little bit, kind of on the reverse though. So by not being so toxically positive to yourself and by accepting these negative emotions, you have some health benefits through that. So that's pretty interesting. I'll link this study in in the notes as well. Is that kind of because like you're living the life you're feeling? Like, is that because your emotions are in line with like... It's accepting your emotions. What you're seeing? Uh, Okay. Yeah. So the whole thing all comes down to to acceptance. So this says, these results suggest that individuals who accept rather than judge their mental experiences may attain better psychological health 
in part because acceptance helps them experience less negative emotion in response. So kind of interesting. So I wonder how that's different than if and how it's different than mindfulness, because isn't mindfulness kind of about that? Yeah. So actually, that was when I was looking like, what are the alternatives to toxic positivity? Because like nobody wants to be that person who's like making somebody feel bad for the positive things they're saying. Like I get the good intentions behind it, but at the end of the day, it's not really accepting, like you were saying, somebody's full range of emotions. So um, that's what I was reading was like people were saying, uh, these psychologists were saying that mindfulness was basically the better alternative to toxic positivity because it's just being aware of exactly what you're going through and again, not judging it. So I also wanted to kind of touch on mindfulness a little bit because I feel like we talk about it a lot on this podcast, but we've never like given an exact definition of it or like a description for the people who maybe are like more curious about it, but haven't really read too much into it. So I was seeing that people had this misconception of like mindfulness and meditation. So meditation can be a form of mindfulness, but mindfulness is something you can practice all the time. And basically it's just like, having conscious, aware thoughts of everything that's going on instead of letting your brain be on autopilot. So this article, which I'll link as well, says when our brains are on autopilot, people believe their thoughts like they're facts. Mindfulness is placing attention where you want it to be with intention. I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, framing it like people, when your brains are on autopilot, you believe your thoughts like they're facts. And that's so true. Because most of the time, like when you have these negative thoughts, you believe them like they're true, even though logically, you know, they're not. That's the brain on autopilot. That's so true. I've heard, I've heard it kind of described like instead of living your thoughts and like jumping head into your thoughts, if you can kind of see your thoughts like clouds passing in the sky, then you don't see any particular thought or emotion as good or bad. You just see it as a cloud. You're like, this is an experience I'm having. I'm having an experience of a feeling. I'm having an experience of a thought. I am not my thoughts. I am not my feelings. I have feelings. I have thoughts. And if I'm paying attention to them, they're not as scary because I'm not getting engrossed in them. Like you said, on autopilot where we're just like, shit, I'm so angry or like, wow, suddenly I'm super anxious because I'm having this super anxious spiral thought. But if you can kind of see it coming and you can kind of watch it go by, somehow it takes the power away. And that's actually kind of a good thing for a lot of people. Yeah, I like that. But uh, yeah, I feel like the ability to master that kind of thought control or like uh, mindfulness I'm not sure if it's a, I'm not sure if it's a CBT, like a cognitive behavioral therapy technique or not, but I think it might be where you're actively practicing like control over your thoughts, but also release of your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so tell me a little bit about the research that you were doing. I, you were telling me earlier that you found this really cool lady on Instagram. Does she, is she like the anti-toxic positivity lady? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just scrolling, like doing the research, looking to see, you know, has anyone covered toxic positivity from like the trend standpoint? Like, why is it trendy? Why is it a buzzword? Like, 
what do we need to know about it? That's not just sort of how the brain works and why it's toxic. And in all that searching, I came across an, a pretty cool article by this person called the Optimism Doctor. And, and she was just answering kind of the standard questions like what is toxic positivity and what should we do about it? But I just really liked the way she phrased things. And I have a few quotes for you, but I, you know, I kept digging into kind of who she was and what she's doing. And she's got a whole like, I don't know, social media profile um, kind of based around mental health and wellness. And it looks like she's also got a podcast. I'm just pulling her up. Let's see. Dr. Deepika Chopra. And she goes by the optimism doctor. So yeah, her podcast is called Looking Up. And uh, looks like she interviews all sorts of different people. Um, the one I just clicked on is psych- the uh, psychologist, Holocaust survivor, and author. So she she interviews quite a range of people. And I think she's looking at a lot of different like psychology and mental health topics. Um, but anyway, she she goes by the optimism doctor. So that really caught my eye. And as she described it in this article that I found, the interviewer is asking what's toxic positivity to her. And she's like, okay, well, there's some pretty common phrases like good vibes only. It could be worse. You're not manifesting enough. So I was like, oh my God, yes, those are the phrases that I always hear. Like, it could be worse. Like, I hear that all the time from family, from friends, even from Mike. You know, we all say that. And then I feel like the good vibes only and that you're not manifesting enough are kind of like a select, like, niche. Like, I'll hear that from some people. Like, some people who are, like, you know, into that kind of language. I feel like maybe good vibes only is such, like, a common trend. Like, that really hit home. Like, <laughs> right? Yes. That's the social media right there. Like, how many times have we, like, saw that post and shared that post? She She's talking about that, and she says that she talks to a lot of patients, so I guess she actually uh, does this for a living. She talks to distressed patients about how these comments, which are basically platitudes, uh, come out again and again, and it just makes you feel worse. Um, and she's talking about how really they come across as, like, that blanket statement. So it's, like, it's stifling. Um, and of course they're the opposite of optimism. They're really quite insincere and that's how we get to toxic positivity. But what I thought was kind of interesting is she said that a true optimist has some key traits, one of which is actually resilience. And it's not resilience in the typical way that we're thinking. Like it's not just buck up and suffer through that in fact is the toxic positivity coming out. It's actually, to be a true optimist, she says, is the ability to work through uh, perseverance and struggle, but hold space for the painful emotions like grief, anger, frustration, anxiety, whatever, and allow yourself to actually feel those things, where they come from, why they're there, while staying hopeful and knowing that it's just going to pass. So it's not saying to yourself, this will pass. It's saying, you know, it is really bad right now. I am feeling X, Y, and Z, but I can see that it's temporary and I know it will pass. So it's a more complete thought. And I just really like that she kind of 
honored the true optimists out there by saying those who are doing that are really achieving optimism. They're, they're positive. That's positivity. It's not to be happy all the time, but it's to know that all emotions are fleeting and that when you're in an emotion you don't want to feel, that you can hold space for it and you can open the door to kind of where it's going to pass and you can get to that next stage. Yeah, I'm really glad you made the distinction. So I was like, ah, shoot, I'm not an optimist. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you made the distinction because I was having that same question. Like, what, what is the difference between like being too positive and being optimistic? Um, but I came, came across a very similar conclusion. Like, it, it's just holding space and just acknowledging what is and being okay with that, which I guess circles back to mindfulness in a lot of ways, too. I wonder, does this doctor speak of mindfulness at all? I'm sure she does, but I don't know. I didn't see anything specifically on it when I was looking. But I think another point to make that can kind of give the listeners some context about it is uh, I read this interesting research article. I think it's by a group at Berkeley. And they kind of built on that, like maybe not mindfulness, like you're asking, but um, when specifically, like what is the context to toxic positivity? And I thought that was an interesting distinction we're talking about. So they were saying that um, toxic positivity or positivity is actually beneficial in an uncontrollable situation whereas in a controllable situation it is harmful so what does that look like so like I said the boss example so the boss is verbally abusive and uh you've decided to tell yourself at least you have a job well that's a controllable situation so really what you're doing to yourself is toxic and positive toxic positivity because you actually have the ability to transfer. Maybe you don't, but let's say theoretically the average person could transfer. They could maybe get a new job. It's a hard situation, but it's considered controllable. Let's say that maybe an uncontrollable situation is like the passing of a loved one. You're not changing that situation in any way, right? They've, they've passed. That's it. Um, perhaps using positivity in that way is a little less toxic because there's really no other outcome. You know, you are acknowledging their feelings, but at the end of the day, um, you know, maybe saying rainy days will pass is actually true because there's really nothing else that can be said at that point. There's nothing that can be changed. So it maybe isn't a good thing, but it's slightly less toxic in an uncontrollable situation. Yeah, I guess maybe it would be a person-to-person thing because I don't know if I really want to hear somebody say that when my grandma passes. Like, obviously I know that, but I would just like to, I guess, feel the emotion of loss. So I don't know. No, I'm totally with you. Interesting distinction, though. I'm not I'm not pushing it off. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, I did see this, um, this distinction um, when it comes to grief specifically. Um, so Mm. when it, when it comes to being with somebody who's grieving, this university is saying that you can't really bond with somebody if you're not willing to sit in their grief and sadness with them. So it it feels almost surface level. You know what I mean? So that's like being as empathetic as possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, so I, 
came around to empathy eventually in my research. <laughs> I found this this uh, study that basically the gist is empathy is hard work and people choose to avoid empathy because of its cognitive costs. So I guess you have to work a little bit harder to be empathetic. And because of that, you have, um, yeah, you avoid empathy and you're less empathetic. So it does take work, which I find interesting and uh, true, I guess, in my own experiences on both sides of the coin. Empathy is a weird thing. Like, I feel like the distinction between empathy and sympathy is very, very minor. And a lot of people think they know, but don't truly know. Um, And there's a lot of other concepts that surround empathy that I ended up learning in my, um, like, counseling training. Um, So empathy is really interesting. I think a lot of people, when they think of empathy, they're maybe thinking of sympathy. So, like you feeling bad for someone or you thinking that some, you know, you're, you're looking at a person and you're feeling uncomfortable for them or you're feeling what they're feeling, but it's like in a way that you see them as like someone else. Like you see their feelings as other, um, where outside of yourself is more like, yeah, it's not really important for you. You're not feeling it. It's not your feeling. And, uh, often associated with like a negative connotation of like, I feel bad for someone or I can't feel that, but I know they're feeling that. Mm -hmm. But um, empathy is really kind of you becoming one with them in a way. It is a hundred percent. You're walking a mile in their shoes. You are feeling their feeling. You are trying your best to feel what they're feeling and you're trying to experience what they're experiencing to be there and to support them. You don't feel any kind of um, gradation of how they are, like they're not better or worse for their feeling. It is just simply like you are experiencing them. And it has a lot to do with like the psychology of like mirror neurons. So like people inherently will feel something when they can see someone else feeling something, like when they're reading Mm -hmm. facial expressions, they, you know, see someone cry and you want to cry. That is like, the root of empathy from my understanding and there's uh there's some kind of I guess more elaborate ways to practice empathy at least in the counseling world we call it advanced empathy which sounds really stupid but basically it's a technique where you listen to someone um telling you whatever their experience of their emotion their experience of whatever and you're supposed to be able to understand and identify like the deeply rooted feeling and the reason they're talking about it and then kind of respond to both of those things. So uh, maybe like a basic example is like, I'm really angry at my wife for coming home late from work. We're always fighting about it and I'm always having to do the dishes uh, because she's always late from work. And it just makes me so angry. She's so careless. And perhaps like the advanced empathy or maybe the empathetic response is like, it sounds like you're feeling really frustrated that your wife's not there to support you. Okay. Um, So that's empathetic. Your understanding of feeling, you're being there with the person. 
perhaps the toxic positivity is it could be worse. Maybe she's cheating on you. You know, she could be cheating on you. She's probably not. Uh, (laughs) And then the advanced empathetic response might be something like, you know, it sounds like you're feeling pretty hurt. I don't know if you're angry. It sounds more like you're feeling hurt because she's not making time for you and you're not feeling heard or seen. You know, that sounds like a pretty heavy burden to carry every weekday. Have you tried talking to her about that? You know, so you can kind of see that empathy is like being there and feeling the feeling, but advanced empathy is like, hmm, what's the underlying reason? And and what is the underlying feeling? Because feelings are deep and there is usually more than one feeling layered on top of another. And there's all sorts of literature out there about like how one feeling, like if someone verbalizes a feeling, there's like a linked feeling that they're actually feeling like anger and fear could be linked. Um, so I mean, I think it's just really interesting and I think that links into toxic positivity because there's all sorts of different ways to respond to someone and they don't have to be perfect, but there, there's certainly different levels and different depths of empathy. Um, it's not just even basic empathy. Yeah. I think that's a hard, I mean, like I was saying earlier, it, it's hard work. It takes effort to be empathetic. And I think that's why it's like people quickly jump to toxic positivity as like a response because they want to keep everything in high spirits, A, and then B, because if they, if they're not in high spirits and they're going to have to go inward and they're going to have to use their brains and their hearts at the same time. And that's a lot of work if you're just going out for groceries or whatever and you just want to turn your mind off. So I, I get it in, in some sense of like like how it became. Um, but yeah, I think I think a lot of us need to do a lot of work on empathy. And I know that empathy is its own buzzword um, because there's like even memes now of like the most toxic girls saying like, I'm an empath. So it's like, now it's like a red flag for a girl to be like, I'm an empath. <laughs> we have to talk about that. That's like an LA thing. Like, I I would definitely say I'm empathetic. I don't know if I'm an empath. I don't know what that is necessarily. We should probably get that out there. But like, it seems like everyone in LA is hypersensitive about being an empath. Like, oh, I'm not an empath. Like, I'm yeah. not that crazy girl that has like way too many feelings and just throws them at people and is also like secretly incredibly toxic. Yeah, right. But it's just like, what is an empath? When did that become such a negative? Like, what? What? I know, right? It went from being like, I think, I think all of that happened during COVID. Like you were saying, we had just like too much toxic positivity shoved down our throat. And it's like, yeah, people are mistaking their empathy for toxic positivity. So I think that's kind of funny, but I think you're right. People in LA are really, they do say that they are really sensitive, um, with emotion and they're really empathetic. And sometimes that is true. I do feel like people in LA are maybe more empathetic than in other cities. Um, I really appreciate when I can meet a stranger and like feel that kind of like connection of like, we don't have to explain anything. Like everybody, like everybody's like emotions are there for each other and not even in a negative way. It could be in a totally positive way. Like everybody's positive emotions are there for each other. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely can, like, speak to that experience. Um, 
do you feel the same? Like, do you feel like Ellie is more empathetic? Like, actually? Yeah, I definitely think Ellie is a lot more empathetic. Um, but I can also... Well, okay, I should say this. LA is a lot more empathetic than anywhere else in a major city that I've been to. But I've been to some smaller cities in Canada that were beyond. Totally. Like, I lived in Winnipeg for a couple of years and beyond. Like, people there genuinely care about you as if you were their sister. Aww. And that they've known you for their whole lives. And it it doesn't come from a place of fakeness. It is genuine and it starts from the day you meet. And it is lifelong. Like... There is a different breed of people there. Let's just highlight Winnipeggers Aww, right now. Cute. Different breed of people. Um, yeah, they're wonderful. But um, in terms of like large, like let's say major Canadian cities and major American cities and maybe European cities that I've traveled to, by far, LA actually is quite empathetic. Um, but people are also just more in touch with, you know, their feelings. I think they're more social and going so it just kind of all naturally falls together i don't know if they're empaths <laughs> i don't really know yeah me neither i think what you said was interesting um just about like the fact that it takes so much effort to like hear someone and like make that connection and um basically like have that empathetic exchange if you will rather than just like okay I'm tired. This relationship isn't like integral to my being. I'm going to throw you something, you know, toxically positive and just kind of get you out of my hair. You're right. It does take effort and it does take like a mental shift, I feel like. And I wonder, is it like an internal thing that we're not empathetic on that day? Like, are we like, do we fluctuate or are we all empathetic? And it's just because of like burnout or it's just because that person is asking too much of us. Yeah. I feel like it's a combination of those last two. Yeah. Cause I always find the boundary of, um, watching your own mental health and being there for somebody else. Really interesting because in my experience, when you have clinical depression and you're going through a really depressive period, being around other people who have clinical depression are not empathetic whatsoever. <laughs> They're like, girl, get over it. Like, whatever. Like, so what? Me too. You know what I mean? So I don't know if you've ever experienced that maybe with anxiety, that kind of thing where people with anxiety are like, get over it, whatever. It's like, I have it. So what, what, what big deal. Right. And I think that's like a defense mechanism on their part to be like, I have to watch out for my mental health. So I don't go down that deep, dark path that could, could you could be dragging me down to so I've always found that kind of like that border that distinction really interesting and really hard to um to find and figure out especially because it changes from person to person like how much can you give the other person that that you're able to give them in this moment are you able to sit with them and be empathetic is your mental health at a positive state are you able to do that and on the reverse side, are you able to allow somebody to either give you the space that you um, to like be with them or like, are you OK, like letting this person watch out for their own mental health? Like, I don't know. Do you kind of have you gone through that similar experience before? Totally. I guess going through my master's, that's that was like the most stressful part of my life so oh. far. 
and uh, it was two years, <laughs> and we we like to say that it was like going to war. Um, it was. I mean, it wasn't like going to war, but it was very stressful. And <laughs> medical school war. Exactly, medical school war. I was with two girls um, that are like sisters to me, and um, you know, we we all threw toxic positivity around because I don't think that a lot of um, I don't think any of us had a lot of mental capacity to support the other fully at any given time. We did a really good job with what we could. And I mean, there was a lot of deep conversations and there was a lot of empathy when we had it, but it was pretty common to be like, yeah, you've got this. Like, I give up. Like, I'm sure you're going to be fine. And it's, it's tough because like ordinarily that might be dismissive, but I can totally see why we told that to each other. There was no extra room. Like, I, we didn't have anything else to give at that point. Like, and we were probably being pretty empathetic because we were probably feeling something pretty similar. We're going through the same experience. So in that way, like, that was okay. And I think I did kind of know that, you know, the other person, which what whichever one of the three of us that said it at the time was probably just looking after their mental health. Yeah, that's usually what it comes down to, but it's hard to distinguish in the moment. Like, whose mental health is more important <laughs> in the moment? Yeah, exactly. And I think that if you're really um if you're really sensitive in that moment with whatever you're feeling, it can feel extremely dismissive. But again, it's like looking at the thoughts in the clouds. Yeah. Do you see it on social media a lot? Like on your own feed? Always, yeah. always, yeah. I think it's like, I think it's like really common to try to make these things into shareable clickbait kind of content. Like it's just because it's so easy to get that to hook, you know? Like, do you have the same? Not so much anymore, thankfully. Um, but I used to. My feed was entirely filled with stuff like that, like 24-7. Like no wonder I was so depressed for so long. <laughs> Like it just, none of the content I was consuming was helping. Um, but yeah, I think once I realized what I was doing to myself, I removed a lot of those accounts and just follow like, I, I follow like a good mix of people, like really educational, really informative and, um, just meme pages or like really funny comedians and. Yeah, I try and keep my my social media light and entertaining. But if I'm going to consume anything educational, um, I want it to be from somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, so like when did you notice that your social media had some culprits in it? Probably at the start of quarantine, honestly. Maybe a little bit sooner before that, maybe sometime in 2019. But 2020 was like... I mean, because everyone was so like, we have to spin this. We have to spin this. We don't know what's happening. We got to make it positive, like everywhere. And in some ways, I'm sure that was like to counteract how much negativity there was, which I get, but it was just like an overbalance. And I'm like, okay, like I can't follow people who are not like ready to grasp reality. And like you were saying earlier, be optimistic about the future while still understanding reality. Like, I, I, you could really, like, smell the bullshit <laughs> on some of these people. So I think it was, yeah, like, 
March 2020 is like, all right, got to clean this out. I'm done. Maybe April, but yeah. I feel like maybe COVID was just like the kick in the pants that the rest of the world needed to kind of catch up to that like craving of authenticity that Gen Z had from day one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some good things did come out of out of that the whole stay-at-home order. Like, TikTok blew up. So I think people fled the toxic Instagram platform for something that's a little bit more light and educational um, when, it, when it wants to be. Uh, obviously, it's social media, so it's still toxic. But I feel like um, some of the new social media platforms are trying to combat every little last damage that Instagram's done in the past 10 years. Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, everyone talks about that, like, present yourself as more authentic. And it's like, are we actually doing that? Or are we just presenting like a really beautiful, curated, authentic life? Like, quotes, authentic life. Yeah, it's authentically curated. Always. Yeah, but you know what? I find I... I find that discussion interesting as well on the the receiving end, like the person who's kind of like being told to be authentic. So like in this example, like an influencer, right? Her audience will be like, hey, be more authentic, be more real, be more blah, blah, blah. But as soon as she is, it's like, oh, like how cringy. I can't believe you would do that. Like all of these like hate comments will flood. It's like, how do you expect anybody to be authentic for real on the internet? When you still have these, like, 16-year-old kids just, like, in the comments section, like, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, you're blah, blah, blah. Like, it feels like it's just, like, the nature of social media. Yeah. Do you think it would change? Do you think that we're self-aware enough to change? Or do you think it's we're still a long way away from that? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like... You know, once COVID's over, like, do we have enough of a pressure to be any different or are we just going to go back into our old ways? And I think people are reflective or self-reflective right now because things are still sort of uncomfortable and people are, you know, um, still empathizing with others and they're still trying to watch what they say and they're still trying to be mindful and people are still practicing a lot of like therapies that help them get through difficult times but I mean maybe in a few years when hopefully COVID is like a distant memory I don't know people probably go back to their ways and I think that goes for social media too like it's authentic right now again as authentic as it could be and then I'm sure people are going to be like oh I went out to this club finally and I wore my best dress and I look so great and it's like all the angles like I, I think that's just human nature to just ebb and flow. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So do you want to just talk a bit about what people can do if they find that they're in the trap of toxic positivity, either giving or receiving? Yeah, um, so these are a couple of alternatives um, that were suggested. Um, So we talked about mindfulness earlier. So just practicing mindfulness and just being aware of the emotions that you're feeling and um, just trying to be aware uh, of feelings of other people around you and kind of the situation, just really analyzing and understanding what's going on instead of just being on autopilot and quickly judging a situation. Um, 
So that's obviously the first suggestion. The next suggestion is just, um, it kind of does play into mindfulness, but accepting your mistakes. So um, this comes down to when you're kind of being too hard on yourself and you're like, come on, like you can do it. Like, yeah, just like that, that like go get it attitude. But when you accept the mistakes, it really helps you like ground yourself a little bit and um, just realize that you're human and that you're allowed to make mistakes and you do not have to get it perfect every single time. Um, but you can kind of extend that grace to other people as well. So accepting uh, people's mistakes for how they come and um, accepting the, and it doesn't have to be mistakes, but just anything negative in somebody's life, just accepting how they come and accepting that this is a fact of life and just being able to sit with people in that. And then the last one obviously plays into those as well is just letting your feelings out. So instead of suppressing what you're feeling, just like if you're feeling sad, just feel sad. Um, and Honestly, I think that's one of the greatest pieces of advice out there. It's okay to feel sad. Just feel sad. Sit in that. Don't fix it. Don't even think about fixing it. Like, just feel it. And then when it's done, then you can feel the other thing. But don't try and rush out of it. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and control it. That just makes it worse, which is so true now understanding that. But it took me so long to get that. So, um. That's why letting your feelings out is a really um, just a better alternative to toxic positivity. Just feel all the things, you guys. It's okay. You're human. It's what makes you a person. It's, I mean, to have that kind of range of emotion. What other animals have such range? Um, Yeah. What about you? What did you find? Yeah. I mean, isn't it a beautiful thing (laughs) to be able to experience all those emotions? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think a lot of what I found was very similar. Um, I also listened to a podcast with Brene Brown, and that was really the highlight for her as well, was feel a range of emotions and accept that in others. Um, what I think kind of stuck for me is, um, you know, just being more present, like you're saying, like try not to be on autopilot, um, as much as it's hard, we're all tired and we all have a lot of things going on. Um, but try not to be on autopilot. It benefits you. Um, you're not getting so absorbed in your thoughts and feelings and it benefits others. Um, and then I think something that's funny that isn't necessarily a good thing to do, but that was like, just this red flag that came up and I was like, I've got to ask Katie what she thinks of this before we close. Um, I was like, do you think that with this like anti-toxic positivity trend, we're all going to start to become super negative and be like, yeah, negativity is fine and very cool. Yeah. I do think our society like overcorrects itself a lot. I think that's where toxic positivity came into play. It was just like overcorrecting the negativity. So I could totally see that happening. Um, I fear for that, like, honestly, like, as much as toxic positivity, like, hurts the soul, like, nothing makes you feel more soulless than somebody who's, like, sucking it out like a dementor, so. (laughs) (laughs) So the take home is, like, please avoid toxic positivity, but watch yourself, because you could easily become a dementor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just accept it. Like, don't change it. Accept it and don't change it. Um, 
at least in that specific moment, because what's the point? And if you're feeling upset about a specific thing, feel upset when you're feeling rational again and like a human and you're ready to take action on the thing, that's when you're, that's when it's key. That's when you're ready to uh, do what you need to do. So you don't need to talk yourself out of things and talk yourself into things. You'll know what feels right. We should do an episode on intuition soon because mm. I feel like a lot of our, a lot of the solutions to these problems we bring up is like mindfulness and intuition. Like those are the keys to life. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely are. Um, yeah. And if you're like one of those people that's um, working in this therapy space or counseling space and has more uh, experience or desire to practice these things, kudos to you. It's a rough road and, and I'm sure you'll get there, but um, practicing empathy and practicing uh, optimism are not as straightforward. We have learned it's not so uh, black and white. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, well, Ashley, this has been a treat as always. I love getting to talk to you, uh, talk with you about all the wacky stuff going on in this world. I know it's always awesome. No matter what, even if it's something as um, seemingly straightforward as toxic positivity, we always learn something and it's always so much fun. So it was great. And I've learned so much from you. Yes, you as well. Um, And I'll take this opportunity to address the audience, uh, break the fourth wall. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in to our 10th episode. We are so honored to have you guys here with us. Um, If you have enjoyed this conversation or previous conversations with Ashley and I, we would love it more than anything if you could uh, not only rate this podcast with five stars, but leave us a glowing review. Leave us a, this podcast is cool, three sentence, three like word review. Like we don't care. Like we just want to hear your feedback. So um, go ahead and give us some love on Apple podcasts. If you don't have that one already open, just pop it open right now as I'm talking. It's not a big deal. I won't be offended if you're switching podcast platforms. Um, we're yeah, super honored to have you guys. Um, if you want to follow us individually, you can follow me at Katie Dessen on Instagram and Ashley Hansen on Instagram as well. We'll have those linked down in the show notes. And then you can follow us both together at the same time at the Coconut Grove podcast on Instagram as well. So I think it's Coconut Grove pod. Um, thank you guys for listening. We really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we love your support. Thanks, guys. See you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.